0: So we've had to go, you dig into the alternate takes and you try to find, or you try to put two pieces of a, a word or a sentence together from different, you know, you glue them together. I mean, I've even cut a word in the middle of the word where the first part of the word is one take, the second part of the word is another take. You know, there's ways and Pro Tools to do that and make it work. And it's a, it's a great feeling when you can make it work.
1: This is LA's Good For You Ten Town, a podcast about the art, science and business of filmmaking. Each week we bring you untold stories from the people who make Los Angeles the global capital of entertainment industry. Join us for your Hollywood 101. Bad picture and sound can break a good movie. On this week's episode, we're chatting to Dave Icorn, the editor who's worked on hundreds of TV and movie productions, including The Wedding Singer, Jag, and Grey's Anatomy. So I've read somewhere, most likely on your website, that uh, you've been involved in post-production since you were 11 years old. Can you tell us a little bit about it?
0: I, When I was a kid, I had this weird fascination with presentations. Uh, my dad had a slide projector. You remember this? Uh, yeah. I don't know if you're old enough to remember. But slide projectors were really big, right? You know, carousel. And I commandeered that thing, and I used to take all his slides and arrange them, which now I realize was editing, right? And putting these presentations together, and I'd get a broadway musical record from my dad's collection and put that on and then tell my family at eight o'clock there's going to be a show and i turn the lights off in you know family room and put up you know and i even had like a like a I learned i could do a fade up by putting a tissue in front of the lens and pulling it up and i was doing this like a 10 11 years old i don't know where it came from but i just i wanted to present you know so i bored the hell out of my family with these slideshows and then i started getting into tape recorders 11, 12, I'm playing with tape recorders, and I realized if you go to the library, you could get these sound effects records and get these cool sound effects, you know, of, like, boat creaks and stuff. So I'd make these dramatizations, play the record and get some sound going, and then I'd play characters and and just sit there. I had a little studio. At, on, on a, It was just down in the basement, and I'd make these radio shows. And I think back sometimes, because you forget all this stuff, and... and uh, and it, it literally was just about 10 years ago that I really made the connection. You think it's obvious, right? It, oh, you know, that's where I came from. But I made the connection. I'm actually doing for a living and loving what I do, what I did when I was a kid. So it's it's like full circle. So I am very feel very blessed and very lucky. And I'm kind of one of those that's doing what is in my blood, you know?
1: But did you think at that time uh, that you wanted to work in the movies?
0: Absolutely not. No. No. I just enjoyed, you know, again, putting you know, pictures and sounds together and just making things like that, you know, just media, just. And then, you know, go forward a year, 13, 14 years old, my brother and I, my brother's a few years older, we started expounding on that and making, he came into the picture and I, we started making little skits with sound effects and music and all this, which I still have and they're just so fun to listen to. These stupid little things, you know? And, uh, and then, you know, went off being a kid, Getting into trouble and going through life, and 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 I go to I went to college, uh, high state university. All I wanted to be was either a psychiatrist, psychologist, or a journalist, or something to do with advertising, journalism, advertising, and so that's what I was majoring in. It was going to be one of those two things. My mom was a nurse psychiatrist, and so I was always fascinated with psychology. And uh, I took a film course. and I thought that's fun. They give you a Super 8 camera and tell you to go out and film squirrels on the college campus. And that just floated my boat. So from that point on, my freshman year, I just, that was it. Film school. I'm going to do film school. Plus it's an easy way out, right? You know, the film school at that time in the 80s is just like, oh, those kids on the corner of the campus, they're just a bunch of artists, you know, walking around with cameras filming squirrels. And, uh, you know, a bunch of stoners, just like, (laughs) easy way through. But, you know, it, it was. Um, that's how it all started, and and again, I realized that film editing is psychiatry, it's psychology, right? And it's and it, and it, it all just kind of dovetails together. Now that I'm older, I'm thinking about it. You know.
1: So, what was your first job out of college?
0: I was working on films for free during the day, and I'd work in restaurants at night, and I did that till I was. 24, 25, and I finally got a job at National Geographic because somebody gave me a tip and said, "Um, you can go down there and they'll hire non-union people, right? Because I think in the 80s, there was a lot more union work. In fact, there definitely was. It was hard to find film work, much different than today. There's film work everywhere, right? So... I went down there and applied, and and they and I got a job as a first assistant editor, as assistant editor at National Geographic Specials, and worked there for three years.
1: That's amazing. So,
0: so I was handling, I was so happy. Oh, it was great. And I kept saying, don't let anybody know, but I would do this for free, you know, because <laughs> I was doing it for free before that at the AFI. I was helping out, you know, these uh, AFI students, and, and uh, so here I was getting a paycheck, and and I slowly quit the restaurant business and National Geographic turned into another offer. Somebody said, you want to work on a a horror movie? And it's like, oh, now it's 35 millimeter. Yes, moving up. That's what I wanted. So I quit National Geographic and did this horror movie. And that, that was a sound job. And uh, And for the next 15 years, I just did sound. It was just one after the other, after the other. Just snowball. My resume just got bigger and bigger and bigger quite a ride.
1: But today, you're both uh, a sound um, editor and a picture editor. So let's just assume that I uh, don't know anything about these roles. Um, What are these people responsible for? Picture editor and sound editor?
0: Well, picture editor, again, was my first true love in my early 20s. And and that's what I was doing at National Geographic. And the sound kind of, I looked at it as a it, it took me off on a detour, and I and I didn't know anything about sound and, and sound effects. But I, 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 I was getting the jobs on these low-budget non-union features. So, again, my resume for sound just built, and that's all I did for 15 years. But I always, in my heart, wanted to cut picture. But you can't cut picture if you don't have a resume for it. So, uh, um, now I'm doing that. So that's how I have both skills. That's not what you ask, though. You ask, what do they do? Picture editor takes everything that was shot and puts it together into a movie. <laughs> and um, everything that's involved with that. The sound takes after, after the sound process happens after the picture is locked, ideally. That's how it's supposed to work. And we just do all the, cut all the dialogue add the sound effects, add the backgrounds, figure out what needs to be ADR'd, figure out what fully needs to be done, and do all that, mix it. So they're two totally separate processes. Today, a lot of it's just getting homogenized because everyone's an editor, and, you know, a lot of low... But There's YouTube productions. A guy will shoot and direct his own thing. He'll edit it, and he'll just do the sound right there in the editing software. And that's the way it is today. But in, the, in Hollywood, you know, A-list pi- pictures and, you know... That's not it's totally separate. They're totally separate departments. Um, how you know.
1: do um picture editors work with um directors? Let's just assume it's an A-list movie. Mm-hmm. Um how are the responsibilities split? Do they sit in the editing suite together or there's another process? It's
0: a good question. It's it all depends on the, the movie and the director, but usually in features the director is the one that calls the shots, and it's his vision. He's supposed to have thought the movie through and, has, and seen the movie in his head before he shot it. So, in, in most cases, he has, he or she. And so, you, you, you know, they'll, they'll, a, direct, a good director will let the editor take the footage and make something without any intervention first, and then come in and see it. That's an editor's first rough cut, first assembly. And then the editor and the director will start working together. Now, in the big big studio movies, the the, the ultimate honcho is, the, we call them the suits. The executives really have final cut. It, it, it's all over the place, but that's generally how it works. It, it really depends on the power of the director, right? A big director like Spielberg has final cut, always. It's his, because he has the success record. But... Uh, a second third fourth fifth time director at a major studio is going to be able to shoot it work with the editor but he's probably not going to be able to have final say because one of the executives will come down and say we don't want that scene in there we're going to do it this way so that's kind of the hierarchy now, on tv it's totally different it's a producer that's in charge of the the cut tv is different because direct uh, like a network tv show the director is just a hired hand not to belittle them, but that's what they're. They're part of the staff, and they direct it, and then they move on. Usually, they're on to their next show, they're on another episode of the same series, or maybe they're doing something else. The producer is the one that comes in and works in the editing room and finalizes the the cut and has the creative say. In most cases, I did a lot of TV in my career as a sound editor, sound supervisor, so I, I saw it. But that, the majority of my work is in network TV shows all through the 90s and late 80s, 90s, 2000s.
1: So do picture editors um, offer advice or their opinion on what this cut should look like uh, and have, let's say, some disagreements with directors So, the director always trumps the editor?
0: The perfect situation is when the editor and director just um hit it off. Um but but if they don't, then yeah, it, it can be really tense. It can be really tense. And and it happens a lot because there's a slightly different vision. The editor feels like, you know, it's easy to, to to take ownership of of the footage because you're living with it. And you if you really like the movie, you're gonna really start kind of pushing it the way you want it to go. And you might see things that the director doesn't see and sometimes that's good, but if the director that's not what I had in mind as an editor you you really you're hired to to do what the director wants so you really have to just let it go and 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 do it their way and hopefully that's good hopefully it turns out nice you know it's 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 a good question because it's there's no real answer it's 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 all personalities relationships yeah
1: when you think about picture editing is it more art or science from editors perspective
0: oh that's 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 really great. Um, I, it's interesting because the director I'm, I, I just finished working with, in fact, I'm, I'm finishing up her movie this week. I did the edit, uh, co-editing, excuse me, and I'm doing the sound on this movie. Um, uh, her name is Nicole Kahn, very talented d- director. She just, it's like patting myself on the back, but she gave me the, 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 the most wonderful compliment. She said, that working with me was the best mix of art and science. Is that what she said? Yeah. Um, that she'd ever, you know, experienced. So that I was really flattered, you know, cause it is, it's, it's completely, it's tech. There's so much technical and that's what I love about it, post. That's it. That's the crux. Cause I, you know, it, it's the technical, you, you really have to be into it. Um, and, and the art, the creativity, it's, it's a perfect mix of, of, of uh, art and science, art and technology. You get both. Yeah.
1: So let's talk about some terms that we've been hearing when, um, when reading about um, editing. And um, one that comes up is continuity. What is that? How does it work? Who's responsible for it?
0: Continuity. It's something we all hope for (laughs) it's the bane of an editor's existence uh bad continuity is where we really bust our chops and it separates the good editors from the bad editors there's a lot of bad continuity out there uh this last i heard it was a script supervisor's job um to make sure that uh so and so is wearing the same thing and moving in the same direction and all that kind of stuff Everybody on the set should be, well, not everybody on the set, the director and the, and the, and the script supervisor. It's kind of a weird name, script supervisor, to be, be uh, in charge of that. And, and uh, um, somebody else can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, uh, that, last I heard, that's, that's kind of their main job, is to really watch continuity, you know, and, and, and call it out if there's a necklace on and then all of a sudden there's not and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, uh, that's what we fight against all the time. You can tell right away when you're when you're um, starting a movie if, if you're going to have problems with that or not, and if if, if it's I, I yeah. and Johnny knows I I did one last year that had a lot of continuity problems, but I actually enjoy that because it was a major challenge, and who doesn't like challenges? It helps you to grow, right? It was a huge editing experience for me in terms of that, um, trying to make shots match that don't match you know you have color problems that that can be fixed as we all know there's there's coloring and light lighting issues but continuity as far as action when actors you know just uh don't follow through in the same directions and you know coming through doors and wearing the same thing looking the same way so um, i actually took uh two shots from different uh completely different weeks um, on this on this movie last year, and was able to make them look like they were in the same uh, in the same scene on the same day. And I was just forced to do that, but through through zooming in for close-ups and hiding other things, it's it's, it's trickery. It's a lot of fun. It can be, unless you're under pressure. <laughs>
1: Let's talk about being under pressure. Yes. By now, we've all heard, all heard about, um, you know, the coffee cup and now a water
0: bottle. What happened there? I mean, exactly I'm telling you. Exactly
1: what happened there? My,
0: my wife and Johnny and I were like, how? We both know how the business works pretty much. And I still don't know how how that could occur. Uh, all I can say is, because I've been in so much network TV, the pressure is enormous. The time pressure, the time crunches. But you would think with all the resources they have, I just think in the last few these last weeks they must have been under some kind of enormous pressure maybe they took so much time shooting they had no time for post or something i don't know but even on the set it's yeah it's kind of inexcusable i mean it's not life and death we look at these things we go oh my god it is just the movie business but you know they have set a standard haven't they all movies have set standards to be perfect so it's that's why that's why everybody notices them notices that stuff.
1: So do you think if Game of Thrones was not such a massive show, nobody would have noticed?
0: Well, obviously, there wouldn't be such an outcry, such a crazy outcry. Um, and people are so passionate. We just heard that, I mean, you know, the news is out there that there's therapy groups now for people that can't so take I've it. So I've heard. You know, the, the, <laughs> it's just, it's amazing. You know, I mean, for me, I love it that the media is so, so powerful. It just lets me know that my job's not going away. You know, there's going to, there's just more and more stuff and more and more people watching, you know, shows. But yeah, the coffee cup was the first one. And then there was water bottles and, um, you know, should have been spotted on the set. But if it wasn't, uh, should I, I, I can't really uh, imagine an editor somewhere along the post-production chain not seeing that, um, unless they just were angry and they didn't care. Maybe it was, maybe that's what it was. It's like there was some... Uh, Bad blood there, and they just let it go. <laughs> They're quitting anyway or something. Or an yeah.
1: Easter egg. but um, An
0: Easter egg, yeah. It was removed very, oh, very... It was very... planned for publicity, yeah.
1: It was removed very quickly and yeah. re- re-uploaded to Netflix, and obviously then a correct ver- uh, version was streamed. But right. how easy is it to remove a coffee cup?
0: If there's no motion in the in the scene, then it's pretty easy for these guys that do it. You know, I, I I don't really get into that because I realize through life, you have to focus and, you, you know, I want to do everything in life. So <laughs> I learned early on that uh, if I try to do everything, you do nothing that well. So I'd rather master some stuff. So, um, and I love the, the process of, of motion graphics and all that stuff. And I dabble in it, but I don't do it. I leave that to the experts after effects, painting stuff out, coloring, um, Color color correction, I should say. Um, there's guys that are so good because that's all they do.
1: So is this like the next step after editing? Color collection? Yes, col- yes.
0: Yeah, yes. yes. sometimes during. Um, because, you know, when you're editing, you're showing it to all kinds of people, especially on the bigger shows. And again, let's call them suits, executives uh, who aren't so imaginative can we put it that way and they aren't able to during a rough cut they're not able to imagine how something's gonna look or sound so one of the challenges in editing is during the process when things are rough you have to polish as much as possible and make things look the way they're going to look even though it's kind of a waste of time to do it early because there's a reason we do the processes the way we do them because it's efficient we just edit. We don't care how it looks. We just edit. We don't care how it sounds. I mean, this is the really the most efficient way to do it. Then hand it to sound. Then they polish it. But during the edit, if uh, producers look at it and they hear a messy soundtrack, it turns them off, and they think there's something wrong with the edit. And they think it's uh, all messed up, and it happens all the time. So there's a lot of pressure to do temp mixes and get the audio sounding good way before we really need to do it. And the same goes with color correction and and graphics and things. But that's uh, just kind of the nature of the beast.
1: Are there any differences between how you edit a movie versus how you would edit a TV show?
0: Yes, yes. TV show, it's very formulaic, you know. It's the, there's commercial breaks. There's five acts. Uh, you go to Black for commercial. You have to sort of arrange stories that way in five acts. The, it, there's like an opening teaser usually. It's, it's a very formula type of thing. Network TV. you know. We're t- when we're talking about HBO and Showtime, things are different now. Those are done more feature In fact, what's really surprising to me is things like Ozark, there is no time limit anymore. It's not 48 minutes like it always was, which is cool. It's all over the place. It's whatever it takes to tell the story, and these cable networks are able to, to do that. I call, I still call them cable networks or streaming networks. They're able to do that because they don't have the, you know, the all that that business of commercials and all the thing. But yeah, and for the most part, there is a difference. There's a certain uh, pace to television, where where climactic things have to happen and wrap ups. And that's why you know network TV is so dull. Sorry, it's like. <laughs> I'm not a big fan. (laughs) I like edgier stuff. Uh, You know, I mean, it used to be all we had. And uh, it's just, uh, it's very successful. Most of these network shows, but not a huge fan. But movies, uh, yeah, you have a lot more leeway. And of course, no breaks or anything like that. So, but there's still, you know, and I run into this a lot. There's time constraint, you know, There's, there's all kinds of, common th- thoughts about how long should the movie be, you know, uh, you know uh, 80 minutes, 90 minutes. Is that too long? Oh, we, sh- we got to get it to 70. People are going to walk out. And, you know, for me, any- anything between 60 and 100. And, I don't I don't even care. A long movie, if it's good, three hours, fine.
1: Three hours, two you know. minutes. I
0: haven't seen Avengers, but I hear it's great. Yeah, you like it? Mm-hmm. She's shaking her head big oh, time. Oh, no,
1: yeah, great. And
0: it's worth it. And you, d- you didn't get... It, 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 yeah. I
1: peed before and I just sat through entire three hours, two minutes.
0: Cool. Can't wait till I get done with my current project. I want to go see it.
1: <laughs> Let's talk about sound. I watch a lot of TV and we've got a sound bar. Um, it never sounds good. Is there a reason why um, movies are mixed in 5.1 and a TV is... Uh, mixing something else and then it never sounds good
0: oh yeah on TV yes yes home viewing is it's it's really it's a it's a mess Um, you know movies were always designed they're they're mixed in theaters that are similar a lot of people might not know this but we, we do the final audio mix in a theater that's similar to the theater you're sitting in when you're watching it. So these very large theaters, some of them have seats and everything so that it simulates the uh, the environment because movie theaters have cloth seats, leather seats, whatever, cloth on the walls, carpet. There's people sitting there and it soaks up sound in a certain way and they you know and so we have to do the audio mix in an ex- the exact same environment so that we know what the audience is going to hear. Movie theaters are perfect vehicles for movies because it's quiet, it's insulated, you got their full attention, so you have, you know, that's the whole idea in movies. You can have very, very quiet whispering scenes and then super loud scenes, doesn't disturb anybody, you get the full story, you get that full range of dynamics, Then television comes along. They start putting movies on television, and you got a baby that's asleep, and you got neighbors on the next room and stuff, and so you know, you, you have a problem playing movies for TV. And now with, um, I mean, for a long time, that's why there were, you know, feature movies were only in, in theaters, right? Movies were meant for theaters and they never played them on TV. They made TV movies, right? I worked on a lot of those all through the nineties. Um, and now of course, it's just the, the technology and the streaming network and the whole business of television is different. So everybody's watching feature films on TVs and and, and Blu-rays and DVDs. Um, and the thing that's made that difficult is the technology for the consumer, right? As the consumer technology increased with all these uh, sound bars, 2.1, 5.1 at home, um, it... it it um made it much harder for us to make movies that sound good at home it, it, because it is it's it, you have to almost, you have to do a second mix and some studios are doing that i'd say 30 40% of the movies out there they actually do what's called a home theater master in a smaller room they try to get the same literally the same human mixer who did the theatrical version and they'll do a home theater mix that has less dynamics, you know, so it plays better at home, because it just the loud parts have to be a little lower, the quiet parts have to come up a little, you know. But but that's not the norm right now. It's 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 a problem. It's been a problem for some time. Whenever we mix movies, we deal with this, and people are listening now. Now it's even worse on pa- tablets, phones, and all the low end, which is usually the basis of good movie soundtracks, the voices and uh, Music and sound effects, it's all gone. And it's a completely different experience, right? Through little tiny two-inch speakers on a computer, it's totally different. So not being able to control the consumer's experience is one of the biggest problems in presenting movies and making them sound the way we want them to sound. There's, there's uh, Dolby has a technology, there's TVs now, it's called Dolby Volume. And it automatically raises and lowers i think it has a look ahead technology and it raises and lowers based on the soundtrack and of course we hate that soundies hate that because it's not i mean you know you don't want you don't want the sound doctor that we've spent weeks months you know teams of people getting everything just perfect designed to be in a theater so i do like people you know the trend of having home theaters so it's it's they can really get the full thing but uh It's an ongoing problem it's 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 changing it's it's um yeah some people uh, a lot of consumers are calling for the studios to put multiple audio streams on blu-rays and on uh and streaming networks where they can choose and not just a a home theater mix but like uh uh, for a smaller tv set for stereo 5.1 7.1 or if they have a home theater you know and so that may be the way it goes. Which just means more work for all of us, I guess. We can mix seven different versions. But there's a push to doing that.
1: Well, it certainly makes um, movies more expensive to make if you have to yeah, have true. so many mixes. Yeah, true. Probably will, yeah. Is this similar to the problem that we've been hearing about from mostly directors and producers about the telenovela setting on your TV uh, whenever you watch a movie and it doesn't? it looks like
0: Oh, you mean a visual Tele- yeah. telenovelas?
1: <laughs> that's what I call it, a telenovela setting. <laughs> well, that's
0: a whole other thing you just mentioned is the, the visual settings. Yeah, like mine has, you know, you, you've got game, movie, standard, natural. People can change the way movies look. And so what happens to all that, you know, time and money and craft that the uh, the finishing people put into it, you know, when the when the consumer can just make it look the way they want it to look? Yeah. It's just, you know, again, we put in so much time and energy and um it's it's a real craft you know it's a it's you know there's been comparisons to you know like paintings by Picasso i mean you can't change that i mean you can by the the lighting it looks different in different lighting and stuff but but the consumer with technology today there's the ability to change media in so many ways and so it it is um we'll see where it where it ends up going but my my advice just everybody just go see movies in theater cuz that's what we make them for and that's what they're designed for (laughs) yeah arc light we love the arc light it's a great place we love it too yeah yeah and man's chinese one of the best sounding theaters since they refurbished it oh my god it's terrific you ever seen a movie in dolby atmos that's well done you know the atmos it's got uh oh it's how many speakers uh 48 Speaker well, There's all kinds of different arrays. You can have Atmos at home with just two on the ceiling, but the idea is it's it's just it's just more places for the sound to be thrown around the room. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. This
1: is the one that they advertise with a unicorn.
0: I don't know. Is it? Is it? I, I haven't seen that. But that you
1: have uh, to cover it's... your ears when it comes on before the movie oh. because it's so loud when they oh, test that's it. That's not
0: good. It, it, it shouldn't be that way. <laughs> hey, a movie shouldn't be uncomfortable at all. You know, unless, before the, the movie. unless it helps the story. But,
1: uh. Um, what's the biggest mistake somebody who's working on set with sound can make that would make your life so much harder when you have to edit it?
0: With sound, you say? Oh, lots, you know, just not, obviously not having a quiet set, you know, machines running that people aren't aware of. Just little hums, too, can be really t- difficult because, uh, You know, as most people know, you shoot. um, In a conversation, you'll shoot one actor and you'll shoot the other actor, and the camera's pointing different ways. And so sometimes one side gets gets a refrigerator hum or something, and the other side doesn't have it. Or one side there's traffic behind that actor, so there's a heavy freeway. The other actor has nothing because there's a wall or there's something soft. Well, we have to match that so that we don't hear it going back and forth. And sometimes we actually add traffic to the side that doesn't have traffic. And sometimes we try to remove the traffic to the side that does have traffic. And it just depends on the situation. But just being aware of that. So, you know, during shooting, um, trying to find quiet places, um, trying to think what's the most, what was your question, the most annoying thing that uh, happens on the set for. In terms of sound. Well, for picture, it's continuity. <laughs> and for sound, yeah, it's... Uh, and, and, and kind of the same thing, continuity of sound. Um, and just, just not making things quiet. Um, the the labs have to be done right. The sound guys, man, good sound guys are worth their weight in gold, man, because they know how to record, you know. Dialogue is what we want. We want that dialogue. Nice and sharp, just like this podcast. Nice and clean, sharp. Nothing else. We don't want to record. We don't record the feet. You don't want to you don't want to focus on anything else. We're going to add all that later. It's great if it gets picked up, but it's the dialogue. Dialogue is king. So
1: can you think of any um, movies or TV shows that you were watching recently and you were thinking, oh, my God, this is really, really bad sound design?
0: It's it's I'd be hard pressed just in the last 20, 30 years there really aren't in my opinion movies that come out of Hollywood I can't think of any that really have bad sound design There, there's a rumor that uh, I think it was The Dark Knight Rises had uh, its first when it came out it was muddy and had a terrible mix but they fixed it um, I'm not aware of that but I've read about that but um, there's you know movies with better sound design and more detail than others but Really, what I what I what amuses me and what I consider bad sound design. Uh, uh, have you ever watched movies coming out of Mexico in the 50s, the westerns, particularly 50s and 60s and 70s? Um, really bad. I I love watching them because it's just hilarious. Really bad. Um, there's ADR in echoey rooms, a guy on a horse outside in a big field, and it's like an you know. And just everything's out of sync, and th- there's all these ambience hits and mismatches. It's I just I find it very amusing. Uh, and and what's funny is the in in even coming out of Hollywood in the in the f- the fifties, there was a whole slew of B movies, drive-in movies, grindhouse movies. Sound was terrible on those things. A lot of those things, the monster movies that. And just like teenage rebellion. The 50s was just a hotbed. They, they put out so many B-movies in the 50s. And the sound is really bad. And I think it's just the budgets were low. And and it's funny because before that, the movies coming out of Hollywood in the 30s and 40s sounded great. I mean, they had terrific sound design, right? So because they were in, in quiet studios was probably why, you know, and then they started going out in the... That's probably what it is, yeah. These cameras got more portable and and just uh just low budgets but yeah it sound has been just since the seventies- sound's been a thing you know since Ben Burt and those guys star wars started really focusing on mixing became a real art right and and multi track recording and and so obviously with technology, it's gotten better but um I can't really think of specific examples.
1: Uh, when I was looking at your resume, um, there were so many different roles that you you performed. It was sound design, sound editor, re-recording mixer, dialogue editor. Are these usually separate jobs, or does one Absolutely. person yeah, does yeah. it all? Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 In 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 the Hollywood scheme of things, yeah. In in you know, if you're talking about the studio environment, yeah, they're they're different. Um, so is
1: this an entire...
0: I just love Post. I, I love Post. So I've had the opportunity to... to I, I just find it all fascinating. And now I'm working freelance. I worked in the studio system for about 20 years. Um, I'd say mostly as a dialogue editor. That's really... If you ask me what I did most hours, you know, um, it's as that. Uh, I was a sound supervisor. and I did a lot of sound effects, car chases. I love working with cars. Um, I, I, I've I just found it all all, all uh, amazingly challenging and a lot of fun, and I've found that I'm really, really good at it, you know? So uh, it, it turns me on, and I just get better every time I do it. Uh, and now I'm running my own shop, so uh, it's the best of all worlds because I'm taking on movies as an editor, and if I'm lucky, I get the sound job also. And so I move right into which is a really efficient way to do a movie, you know, if you... if if. If you've got somebody that knows what they're doing, because the while I'm editing, I can be thinking about sound design instead of just handing it off to a complete, you know, stranger uh, who has to get caught up with what's going on and everything. I'm I'm already thinking about sound design. I'm starting to put things together, and and then you move right into the audio phase, and uh, it's it's one-stop shop, you know. So, yeah.
1: Is there a difference between um, sound design and composing music? I mean, this is a stupid question. We know there
0: is, but... There's no stupid questions!
1: But how do sound editors work with um, people who put together music soundtracks?
0: Well, that's that's the whole thing. Yeah, comp- you just said all those different jobs. Well, composing is its own entity. Comp- composers do the music for the scores for, for films. And, and the word sound design has is, is gotten so mixed up over the years, you know... Um, so the word was invented back... I mentioned Star Wars, 1977, I think it was. That's when the word sound design really was coined uh, because uh, Ben Burtt was creating sounds that we'd never heard before, which I call you know non-organic sounds. They're not natural. Well, light swords and things like that, they haven't happened yet. We'll, we'll have all that stuff pretty soon. But the ships and everything... So he was creating all these amazing magical sounds. Um, science fiction stuff and that became known as sound design whereas cars and all those things birds sound effects which we'd always called them so sound design and sound effects are kind of the same thing but sound design in my head are the things that you have to kind of make on a synthesizer or take something you take a dinosaur i mean you take a, a dog and slow it down and it sounds like a dinosaur that's sound design and i I'll stand by that, I think that's the proper use of the term because that's I kind of lived through it nowadays um it's being coined as everything from music to just some people call um, all the sound work on a movie sound design it's fine i mean it's you know who cares It's a nice term sound design. I'm even starting to use it sound if I do all the sound in a movie, it's sound designer it's kind of cool. You designed everything but but yeah, the term uh it's kind of like Foley. Foley is being used now. Some people think car doors are Foley, and and you you can do a car door in a Foley stage, but it's not really done that way. It's pulled out of a sound effects library. It's a sound effect. Foley are the things that uh, you can't do very easily out of a sound effects library. So you, so
1: let's talk about this mythical Foley. Oh, is it mythical? It's totally mythical. I like that. Uh, how does it work? Is there a guy on the soundstage that just records footsteps to all match? day long?
0: All day long, every single day, all day long. Yes, foley artists are fantastic. Yeah, they—they. They, uh, um, we're we're doing a lot of foley. Um, um, my wife is a fantastic foley artist, so we're starting to do foley. Since I'm taking these movies on, I've decided why don't I do the foley? So I'm recording it. She's doing the Foley uh, artistry, and she's finding out she's very, very good at it. Um, Can you give us a
1: few examples of um, how you do it in practice?
0: You literally do it in a room like this, a very quiet room. You put a microphone up, and you put the movie on the screen. It's much the same way that composers, at least in the old days, they still do it. Composers score their music to the picture, to the movie, while it's running, which is kind of fascinating. But Foley, as somebody's walking across a room, You have to add those footsteps, and so the foley artist will walk in sync to the picture, and then rewind, do it again if it's not right, and and get it right. And it it, it's it's a lot uh, faster and more efficient than cutting every footstep out of a sound effects library, which is you you could do it that way if you can't afford a foley artist, and a lot of people do. But you can imagine in a crowd scene with a lot of people running around and. Or somebody pacing back and forth endlessly for ten minutes in an entire reel, that would be a, a lot of work to cut. So yeah, foley is is the live action recreation of recording sound effects that can't easily be cut. Um, and there's things like you know putting a glass down on a table, um, putting a cigarette out in an ashtray. I mean, they're just they're just things that need to be done live. And then another class of foley is it's not just footsteps, it's props. Which is like I said, you know, glasses, cups, pours, things like that. Um, cloth movement is a big thing. We almost always do cloth movement. Um, when somebody walks across the room, you, you're not aware of it, but their pants are. Here's some Foley right now. Just their pants are rubbing every step they take, and uh, if you saw a movie with it and without it, you'd see the difference. You know, it's what gives it that cinematic, polished Hollywood edge that we like so much and uh, it makes a difference between an amateur sounding soundtrack and and one that's polished yeah
1: I imagine you would have to match different types of shoes to different types exactly. of sounds of shoes so you would yes. uh, if it's a stiletto or it's a sneaker yeah how many yeah. pairs of shoes do you have in the house?
0: It's pretty funny. Go on... Um, uh, well, you know, we're not full-time fully Foley operation, but, yeah, when, we, when we're doing Foley, which we're actually... Right now, we're, we're doing one for a movie, and uh, there's shoes all over the room. There's props. It's just... It's a complete mess. If you go on YouTube and just look up Foley uh, Studios, these people that do it every day as a business, um, they have these amazing facilities with everything, every possible prop imaginable, every type of shoe... And there's surfaces built into the floor concrete, wood, metal. You know, I worked on JAG for years, and they always go up those metal steps uh, on, the, on the ships, the aircraft carriers. And so that was a big thing, you know. It's, and so, fully artists will say, okay, hard shoes on metal on, on uh, those steps, you know, so that you got to get on that right surface. Yeah, you have to match what you see. And there's old telephones. Um, they go to garage sales, and I'm assuming, and just buy everything they see because you never know what's gonna, every movie's different you know if you're going to beat somebody over the head with a telephone receiver in a movie you you really have to have that uh, you know <laughs> and then there's the famous ones of the you know cabbage for head splitting open and all that stuff yeah they use fruits and all kinds of things it's very imaginative very creative and there's there's no rules there's things that work but you can always reinvent
1: this is a question from uh, from Campbell who desires sound um what are your thoughts on coffee slurping using Foley? <laughs> uh, and I'm just reading here, we don't know for certain, but True Detective and Lady Gaga and A Star is Born had some very slurpy moments. Is the... that really necessary?
0: <laughs> well, that'd be a question for you, the viewer. Do you like it when you hear it? I, For me, reality, it's like... You know, I just instinctually, I'll look at something. And if I think it needs a slurp, I'll put a slurp in. Nothing is an accident except the, maybe the Game of Thrones things, but nothing in movies is an accident because there's so many people working so hard, so meticulously on every frame of a movie or TV show. And so you're right. If she she did that on the set, that would have been addressed and it would have come up. Do you want to leave it or do you want to take it out? Because a dialogue editor can take it out. Um, or you just want to leave it to keep it natural, and that would have been up to the to the director, probably. And if she didn't do it on the set, somebody would have said, do you want her to slurp? Should we put that in? And they would have foleyed that. Um, so, and, and just letting you know, everything like that, all those details, nothing just goes by. Because in post, you, you run through it so many times, and you look at every frame, especially a movie like that that's going to have such a huge audience. Nothing is, is a mistake. Just remember that. That's... <laughs> Except for, you know, we've got to find out the truth behind Game of Thrones. Was it a mistake or was it intentional? But um,
1: we will never know. But let's talk about ADR. Um, In what circumstances would you um, re record dialogue? And uh, how often does it happen? And what percentage of dialogue? per movie does have to be recorded. It happens recorded. a lot.
0: People don't realize it, but probably every single TV show you ever see has ADR in it. Yeah, maybe 10 20% kind of average. That's low. Uh, every movie has ADR. I, I can't. I don't think I've ever worked on a, 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 a movie or a TV show. Even an indie feature. It just Well, actually, indie features need more because they're lower budget, so there's more of a need to do ADR because there's problems on the set. But... Even with all that control, Warner Brothers soundstage, big movie, you know, um, uh, let's just say like Ocean's Eleven. Great movie, right? Um, they built a casino down at Warner Brothers on the soundstage. You should look up the, uh, go to the Warner Brothers Sound Studios website, of the fa- their facilities portion of their website. Why not just take a casino for two or three days? But that must be testimo- to testimony to how much money those casinos make and how much they would lose by closing for a day and it, it, even Hollywood couldn't match that. So they built uh, a a two-floor casino. Yeah, anyway, it's that's always just fascinated me the the extent that movies go. But yeah, um even with all that control and and everything um uh, there's there's a need for ADR. And a lot of times uh it's not always audio interference or something dropping You know, sometimes a C-stand will drop on an actor's line. Well, yeah, you have to get an airplane goes over. You can't avoid some of these things. Somebody coughs off stage. But uh, there's line changes. You know, that that happens a lot. You know, the directors will see it over and over during the editing process. And uh, I always wanted to get them to say this. And, you know, if their head is turned, then they can then they have that opportunity. So there's a lot of added lines uh, or changed lines that happen. And that just goes into the ADR list. So we always differentiate: is it for technical reasons or is it for creative performance? Or sometimes it's performance, and uh, that can get a little, you know, edgy because you, you know you don't want to tell actors your performance. So, you know, I've been through a few situations where you know it wasn't it wasn't my call, but I had to record the actress, and it's like, why am I doing this? Um, you know, so you know, it just couldn't couldn't hear it. it. It wasn't recorded very well. You say something like that. I don't know. You just egos you know
1: (laughs) i'm assuming actors don't like doing adr
0: uh some love it some love it um let me think most it's just a chore to the really seasoned actors it's kind of a kind of a chore it's part of their contract a lot of times they have to just come in and do it drive across town go do adr it's also like you know i i did the performance now why do i have to do it again it's not going to be as good yeah it's a but some really love it. It's funny. It's, I may, it's probably split right down the middle, to be honest with you. I have looped so many people. I have done a lot of ADR. And I really enjoy ADR because it's a people. You know, the editing uh, is very solitary. You're alone constantly. Well, luckily, I, I like being alone too, but you got to have a, uh, you know, it's, again, it's, it, this is why I like posts. There's the mix. You know, I said it was creative and technical. So I have that cool mix. Well, what I do by doing all these disciplines, I get the people element and I get enough time to be alone to keep myself mentally healthy because I'm one of those. I'm an introvert. I like to be alone. So but not too much. (laughs) So ADR is fun because you're meeting new people and great, talented people. But it just recently worked with with a whole team and and of uh, a whole cast and they all love doing ADR. And uh, sometimes the big actors love doing it, too. They they see it as, it's it's all their personalities. Some see it as a, a, pl- a way to improve their performance, you know, because they weren't happy with what they did. So, but uh, it, it's, yeah, some just, oh, some hate it and fight it. I mean, they'll fight it.
1: Were you ever in a situation where an actor refused or couldn't do ADR and you had to hack it with another yes, actor's voice? Absolutely.
0: I've had actors walk out of ADR stages because they're so pissed off that they had to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'll name names, but uh, no, it just really, like, they, they heard it fine. Uh, there's sometimes technical reasons we have to do it because there's music playing or whatever might be going on and we've got to have it clean um trying to think of specific technical reasons which i can't right now but um yeah so we've had to go you dig into the alternate takes and you try to find or you try to put two pieces of a a word or a sentence together from different you know you glue them together i mean i've even cut a word in the middle of the word where the first part of the word is one take the second part of the word is another take and and you you know there's you know there's ways and pro tools to do that and make it work and it's, it's a great feeling when you can make it work it's all married it's it's just lucky for me that it's all part of post and i can do it all it's, do you ever
1: great. do you ever edit uh music videos and does it require a, a different skill
0: I have, yeah. In, in earlier days, I, I did some music videos. Um, they're a lot of fun. I don't do them now. You can't, and there's just no money in music videos. <laughs> and they're great for starting out. Kids that don't need to make a lot. Uh, I, there's a lot of ads out there for, you know, I, I, I get my jobs from the job boards, like everyone, because I'm a freelancer now. Um, and there's music video editors, but I mean, you know, two $300 to cut a music video. It's a, it's a real creative challenge. It's a blast. I shot one and and edited it and uh, but uh, it it, it was a business for a while when music videos started out when MTV it was a huge thing. In fact, I remember going to UCLA and taking classes, a class called directing a music video. It was it was in a class like commercials. You know, I I mean, you can direct commercials, you can direct music videos. Now music videos aren't what they used to be because they used to be they were the content. And so they were, and it's the only way people sold music back through that decade or whatever. Now, I don't know, they're just, they're not as important. So they're more just kind of luxuries to have for bands and fun. But um, they're fun, they're a blast. Yeah, because anything goes, you know, with a music video.
1: Are there any um, new technologies that are coming out, both in picture and sound? that you think that going to change how you work?
0: Oh, it's happening every day. It's constant. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that scares me is the AI, you know, artificial intelligence that there, there's talk of, well, actually, uh, it's, it's happening. There's algorithms that can, uh, pick shots. Can recognize faces, facial recognition and shots, put put conversations together, you know, edit a two-way conversation together. But, uh, you know, we, of course, we editors hate all that. And, it, and it, is it really ever going to work? Because you need that human element, right? It's all about putting it together. It's emotional, you know. Only humans know how to really tell a story, an emotional story. But it can get a lot of the work done you know get get the uh, there's a lot of work in editing just getting the shots in place and then you start trimming and it's like a sculpture you just then you slowly get it tightened up so maybe some of this ai will really help uh, save time and time is money so you know and with audio it's really come a long way i started on film and so i've ridden the the horse all the way through right from a moviola little green moviola you know what that is yep that's how films were edited. That's how sound was edited. We'd mark where to cut with a white grease pencil and cut it with a razor blade and tape it together. And So anyway, through all the revolutions and now, you know, it's just like... And that's another reason I'm so... I'm grateful and I love this because I've lived through that and I appreciate so much the power I have with a computer now that I can just try so many different cuts so easily. And... uh there's just nothing like it. There's, it's a great time to be an editor. You know It's amazing, especially with audio. Well, with both. It's, it's insane. You know, we look back, me and all the other old editors, How did we do that? And, uh, and somehow we did it because it's all we had, you know, stepped up to it, but it just seems so archaic, the technology we used to use. It's moved fast. What was the original question?
1: It was about technology. Technology, yeah. I think the the AI answer is perfect. It's
0: going, yeah, yeah. It's it's really. There's a lot going on. There's uh, Pro Tools is now. I don't know if it's Pro Tools. There's audio. I've I've heard talk, and maybe this is already out there that they're going to use color to. Well, they kind of already are doing that with RX. The color signifies the intensity of the sound, and you know, using colors as another dimension, right? Because you know, we look at a waveform, we can see the amplitude by how big the waveform is, and we can see the length and all of that stuff. And then there's another dimension, right, of color, if they use color creative, creatively to, to tell us something else about the sound. Well, you know, if you know what Isotope RX is, they're kind of already doing that. In their timeline, the waveform is uh, different colors to tell us what frequency, you know, the low and the high. So it's just making use of all this technology to give us more information about the sound. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, keeping up with it is a, is a whole is a is a whole job. You got to stay relevant in this world, man. Otherwise, <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. And you can tell I'm passionate about post.
1: Yes, and that's all, folks. You can catch us on Instagram and Twitter at La Is Good For You. Our podcast is recorded at Rosinante Studios in Delray, recommended for all your low budget recording and sound editing needs.